Would you turn with me to the 12th Psalm? We're in the a ser- sermon series on the Psalms. We're now in the 12th Psalm and invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have an ESV Bible, that's the version we preach from, and you'd like to use one or have one, we'd like for you to take one of the black Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you. You'd take one and put your name in it, make it your own. We'd love for you to have that. We'd only ask that you'd read it. Before we look at Psalm 12, I'd like to pray, and we call the pastoral prayer. I want to not just pray for the sermon, I want to pray for our church and our community and pray for needs specifically. And would, would you join me by praying? Would you join me by lifting your hearts up and ask, making, making these prayers your own? And when I finish saying amen in, in response to this, if you agree. Dear Father in heaven, you are the sovereign one and we want to praise you. You're infinitely holy and mighty and wise and good. Would you be glorified in this church, in this building, with the kids down the hall and in the nursery and in our homes, in our words and in our actions and in our hearts at Camp Barakel right now? Oh God, we bring some prayer requests to you. I pray for the 45 or so kids, teenagers, and leaders who are from our church at Camp Barakel. I pray that you'd minister to them and work in their hearts. Speak to them. Draw them near to you. Love them and show your love in a special way to bless them. Protect them from evil. Give them a safe trip back, but grow them. And I pray that you'd be with each family and parents that are waiting for their return. Shape them and help them. Speaking of families, I pray, God, that you'd be with the families of this church. Every one of them, all the kids, moms and dads, grandchildren. Oh, God, I pray that we'd raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I pray that fathers would lead their homes with love and tenderness and godliness and faithfulness and courage and wisdom and in truth and for that will lead them or do not have a father, I pray that you would meet their needs and be with mom and be with mom in all things and just give her strength and help in the home and outside the home and just grow her in the Lord. God, be with our children, our grandchildren, our marriages. I pray that you would be glorified in all those things. I pray for those that are non-married. I pray for those that are young and 18 and older and growing and preparing for college or going to college or preparing for a career or looking for a spouse or looking for the next steps in their life. I pray that they would grow so close to you. God, I pray that you'd be with the singles through, I just pray for those that are divorced and and maybe feeling, definitely feeling the pain or loss. And I just pray that you'd bless them, encourage them, build them up, and use them in mighty ways. Oh God, I pray that you'd be with those who are non-married because of, because of widowhood. 
And I just pray, God, that you would just comfort and help them and use them and bless them. God, you call some to a life of singleness. And I just pray that you would bless them. And I pray that they, you'd use their singleness to the glory of God. Give them great joy and fulfillment and love in you and in others and in the body of Christ and to the people they serve. God, I pray for the seniors of our church, every one of them, and those help them to view this life and every day they have as an opportunity to serve you. Give them wisdom and grace, and even if their body doesn't have the same strength, give them spiritual strength and joy. I pray that these would be not years of complaining and grumbling, but instead increased joy as they believe the promises of God and look for your return or their, turn, their coming home. I thank you for the ministry that they are to our church. And I just pray that you would just lift them up. Give them great joy in their season of life. And as they minister to others in this church and their own family. Oh God, there are so many things to pray for, including wayward children who are grown up and are not looking to you, or not, have turned away from you. Would you draw them to you? Those that are in disobedient lifestyles, draw them to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. God, we are reminded in this text in Psalm 12 of the persecuted church. And so I pray for Christians in Afghanistan and China and North Korea and many Muslim countries where they are not allowed to proselytize. I pray that you would save and draw near and bring peace and help. I pray, pray that you'd bring your king, kingly rule on that, those nations and bring revival, not only there, but in this land. I pray that you'd prepare us for any kind of persecution, as slight as it might be, and that we would walk with wisdom and grace and love and faith in you. I pray for the members of this church, all of them here gathering or at home or traveling, watching online. Would you keep them and make them more obedient? May we cling to you and live out the covenant that we've made to one another. I pray that you'd help those that are looking for a church. You'd guide them and direct them to a family home where they'll be nourished and cared for in the Lord. Their fa families would have other families to partner around them as they raise their children. Or if they don't have children, to, that they would grow together and serve the body in, in a way. God, I pray that you would help those who are searching and do not have answers spiritually. Maybe they're lost or doubting or seeking. I pray they'd find you in Christ. God, I pray for our churches around us, Christians around us you that are not part of this church. Minister to them, bless them, help them, grow them in this area. I pray that together we would be a light and a testimony. Be with our friends and missionaries across the world like the McFell Fosses in Cameroon. Would you please help them this afternoon, this evening as it is. Face this COVID-19 virus. I pray, God, that you would remove it from our land and from this world. And I pray that you'd be glorified in that. I pray that you'd use vaccines and different decisions that are made. Would you allow businesses and schools and other things to open? But I pray that we'd have a good testimony. We'd be wise and caring and loving and compassion and above all things, trusting in you. And finally, I ask that you would help us as we go now to your word. I ask that you'd help me. You are our strength in the battle. You are a strength with words. You are a strength in all things. And I just pray that you'd bring a proper conviction, a proper joy and truth, a proper love for your word, an obedience, an eagerness to obey you. 
And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know who calculated this, but if they're right, you and I speak somewhere between 18 and 25,000 words a day. Some of you say, no way, I don't get close to that. And some of you will say, that's just the beginning. That's before breakfast. We speak tremendous words, a, a tremendous amount of words a day. Someone calculated, if that's right, that we could put together a 54-page book every day, just of our words. Would you like somebody reading that book? In a year, we would produce 80 or 66, 800-page books. We do about a fifth of our life is talking. And they're talking with angry words and gentle words and healing words and affirming words, and teasing words, and flattering words, and defensive words, and resentful words, self-degrading words, and stuttering words like me, and fitting words, thankful words, praising words, lying words. The tongue is really important. It's a theme throughout Scripture. The Proverbs, in speaking about wisdom, says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Or, when words are many, sin is not lacking. Proverbs ten nineteen, Or, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit, Proverbs 15.4. Or, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, and he opens his lips comes to ruin. Words are really important. You ever heard the phrase, loose lips sink ships? It was a poster, a banner during World War II in England. Don't talk about movements in the land. You could get yourself in trouble and the enemy will use it. Yes, the enemy uses our words or wants to get into our heart to cause our words to go in a certain direction. It can happen in wartime and it can happen on Zoom calls like this week at Oakley Union District School Board that was meeting with the public. And they thought they were in private session, just themselves, but it was open to the public and they talked and they talked and they talked and they, they made fun of parents and they made fun of students and they got in trouble and they resigned. Words can get us into trouble and have led to unjust deaths and imprisonments. There are people today in prison in some countries of the world because of the lies of a government or the lies of a false accuser, the lies of tyrants. 
The deception of leaders have led to persecutions and concentration camps, holocausts, and loss of jobs. Have you ever known anybody that lost a job because of a lie? Not their own lie, but the lie of someone else. I have, and you, you might have. There are lies all the time, lies from parents and friends and kids and bosses and employees and politicians, of course, and pastors and police and attorneys and judges and doctors, lies on the news, lies in books, lies on Twitter and Facebook, lies in person, lies in text. It's deception. It's the occupation of our enemy, the Satan or the devil, he is a liar and he is a murderer. And he takes and uses our words, our language, and he wants to twist and work in our hearts to use, to both lie to us and cause us to do the same to others. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character because he's a liar and the father of lies. Language is a gift. The the scriptures talk about the lips, the tongue, the mouth, all symbolizing our speech, our words. And language is a gift from God. And like all gifts... It can be used to the praise and glory of God in the good of others, and they can be used for the detriment of our own souls and of others. And Psalm 12 is a lament. It's a cry to God from David about the wicked and their words that have led to the destruction or the pain of many. And David writes this psalm and hands it to a choir master and he says, here, sing this. And we should take this psalm to our hearts and we should use it to pray. When we, when we pray for our friends in India or in other countries, they're being lied about and persecuted. But we also should look in the mirror and say, the very heart of those lies and deceptions could be just right here looking in the mirror my own self, and we need to confess our sins. And we should take this psalm and let it steer our hearts to words that are glorious and pure and true, that they would transform us. So let's look at this psalm, Psalm Psalm 12. It's only eight verses. It's a psalm of David to the choir master according to the Sheminith, which we don't even know what that means. It could be some musical name or a choir or a school of music, here's the psalm. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a doubled heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. 
like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Amen. Psalm 12, verses, let me walk, walk you through it for a minute here. Psalm, verses 1 through 4, they are a lament, a cry to God because of the wicked. You see that? Oh Lord, the godly are gone. That means those that keep God's covenant are, are looking to God. The faithful, the devoted, have vanished among the children of man. And then he goes on and he asks for God's judgment on them. Because it is really bad. So bad that in verse 5 it says that the poor are plundered and the needy groan. And they're longing for safety. And then in verse 5, God speaks. God speaks. The first psalm we see God speaking directly in the psalm. He quotes the God and he says... Here, I will now arise, God says. I will come and I will act. I will bring deliverance. And then verses 6 and 7, the psalm continues on, but it goes, God's words are awesome. God's words are pure. And he keeps his words. His promises are right. We can bank on it. And then it ends in verse 8 with, the present evil state is still here. And we are left with verse 1 and verse 8. The book ends of this psalm saying, this is a sad state. It's, you see, the vanished, faithful are gone. The godly is gone. And verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. We live in America and we might have our own personal woes and problems and we deal with our own difficulties. But in the time of David and many times throughout history, in the last century especially, and in parts of the world right now, this psalm would be sung in such an intensity and say, yes, we see the vileness prevailing in such an incredible way and we could see it in certain levels of our country even to today as God's law is ignored, but even in the church, even among God's people. The psalm is meant to be sung and believed and called on to God to say, God, please give justice and trust that God does bring justice and that God's word is faithful. You see, in this passage, you find a contrast between the words of the wicked, and there are many, and the words of the Lord that are flawless. It's a war of words. We, in some ways, live in a world with a war of worlds. The, war, the words of the wicked and the words of the Lord. Who are we? Are we the people that are more like the words of the world? Or are we transformed by the words of of the Lord. Let's look at each of them. First of all, I want you to see the words of the wicked in this passage. The words of the wicked, I, I wrote down this, they are deceptive and they're defiant and they're dominant and they're destructive. That's on the back sheet of your bulletin when you came in. They're deceptive and defiant and they're dominant and they're destructive. You see they're deceptive. 
Verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. We don't know the occasion in David's life that he writes this. But whatever is happening, and I, I don't think we know the occasion because this can fit at any time for any circumstance. We live in a world when people are lying and truth is at a premium and it's not even out there. It are lies. God, God calls us to be people of the truth and we are to hate lying of all kinds. We should not find it in ourselves. You know, lies to intentionally mislead others when they expect an honest communication. You know what flattery? This passage speaks of flattery. Whatever case, there was a lot of injustice going on in the land, and part of it has to do with the flattery, because one person would come to another, and flattery is an excessive, insincere praise given usually to further someone's interest. We can do that in our lives. We can... Compliment and praise somebody, not because we're trying to encourage them sincerely or because, and because we think what we're praising or encouraging is really praiseworthy. It's because we want something from them. And that was going on in the land. So was double-hearted talk. It says here, everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart. They have a heart towards evil or just selfishness, but they talk really nice. Or as Psalm 62, which is right connected with our fighter verse this last week, with their lips they speak, but they have inwardly their hearts are evil. They're wrong. We, the Bible says that we should expect that in this world, this is going to run rampant, and it has, and it does. But it should not be among God's people. This should not be for believers. Ephesians 4.25, to those that are owned by the gospel, God says, put away all falsehood and speak the truth to one another, to your neighbor. We, we, we are to embrace the ninth commandment into our lives that says, you shall not bear false witness, which means way more than just, you, when, you're, when you're under oath, you better not lie in court and commit perjury. No. I like what the ancient theologian said in answer to the ninth commandment. He said, this is what it means, that I never give false testimony against anyone. I never twist one's words, nor slander or gossip, nor join in condemning any one rashly or without hearing, rather, in courts or anywhere else, I should avoid all lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's wrath. I should love the truth, speak it candidly. I should openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. But the words of the wicked are the opposite. They lie, they flatter, they're hypocritical, and they boast. Which leads us to the next thing. They're defiant. In their defiance, they boast, they declare that who will have master over me? They put themselves against God in their wickedness and vileness. The words of 
the world, the, world, the words of wick, the wicked, say, God, I am independent of you. God, I am in charge. I do not submit myself to your ways. We see that in verses three and four. He says, may the Lord cut the tongue of them that makes great boasts. We are to never boast in anything but in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to boast in God's goodness and not as a means to boast in ourselves, but in God. We are to praise God in all things because we know that everything we have is from God. We must say things like, if the Lord wills, we're going to do this and not boast and presume that tomorrow we have in charge of anything that we plan to do, but instead our boasting is in God and His goodness. But that's the opposite of the words of the wicked. The words of the wicked defiantly say, I am like and I will prevail, and who will have master over me? Not God. Oh, that might, may that not be us, but that is the words of the wicked. And the words of the wicked are dominant in this age. In this age, he says this, the godly are gone, the faithful have vanished. Everyone utters lies. Doesn't it feel like that sometime? Lies and boasting and evil words abound in our world. You turn on the news and you find it and you don't know what to believe, what channel to watch because they're saying opposite things. Uh, what, What politician to believe? It comes from Democrat politicians and it comes from Republican politicians. It comes in abundance. In this life, we should not be surprised, we should grieve, we should be concerned, we should be burdened, but we should not be surprised that the words of the wicked are dominant, but they must not be dominant among God's people, they must not be dominant among God's pastors, we must not be dominant among parents that call on the name of the Lord and Christians who are called to live by His name. I see lastly in this this psalm about the words of the, the wicked, they're destructive. The psalmist has to say, save, O God, because if you don't save, they're destroyed. The poor are plundered, and the needy groan, verse 5. That's why God says, I will rise. You see, the words left unchecked are destructive. Our words are destructive. Words will come and destroy us. And David feels it. He knows that if God doesn't intervene, they will be destroyed should apply to our lives, though, even though we might not be a persecutor of Christians, we hopefully we'd be faithful to God. Our words, in smaller ways, but in still true ways, can hurt and destroy people. As the proverb says, they bring life and they bring death. Our words reveal our hearts. See, that's the biggest thing. Our words reveal our hearts. The words of the wicked reveal a heart that is bent against God that it either ignores or disbelieves that God exists, or if he does exist, I will not submit to that kind of God. All such hearts do not have the grace of God in them that would melt them to a point where they would turn away from themselves and look to something bigger and greater and glorious, and that's God first and a love to others. The words of the wicked have hearts of selfishness, and pride and self-righteous and will always be destructive. And the words of the righteous, well, they come from a different heart. A heart that's been changed. 
So let's, let's look at the words of the Lord. I say, say that in this psalm, we find the psalmist warning or loath, crying out to God, lamenting and saying, Oh God, the words of the wicked are destroying us. Come and defeat the words of the wicked. And his answer isn't, and, and his answer is, here's God's words. God's words are awesome. God's words are flawless. We find the words of the Lord in, beginning in verse 5. They're his words where he says, in some ways like an oracle from God, given to David and written down so that we would sing and praise him over it. These are the words of God. Because the poor are plundered, because of the needy grown, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will plead, place him in the safety for which he longs. God says, I will now arise and I will come and I will meet and I will take care of this injustice that's taking place. I will bring righteousness. We've seen that in many of the other Psalms. He is quoting, he is saying what God says in Isaiah 33.10. Now I will rise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. You see, God's people need the words of the Lord. And what we find here is God's words, God's words are promising. They're with saving promises and righteous warnings. That's God's words. God's words have saving promises and righteous warnings. And they're flawless and trustworthy. And they're accessible to believers and they're effective and definitive word of God. In contrast to the wicked that are all foul, and defiant, and deceptive, and destructive. Here we find God's words, one, that they're saving promises and righteous warnings. Oh, I want you to know that the word of God, this book, which is the very word of God, are from our creator, speaking to us. They, these words are completely true. They are pure they're powerful and wise unto salvation. They are righteous. They will transform our lives. They are filled with promises that are meant for the believer. And if, to be a believer, you come to realize that you need a Savior for your sins. And you have looked fully to Christ alone. And you've abandoned all hope of taking care of your problems and your sin and from yourself and you look fully to him with empty hands and receive his gift of salvation and all his promises become yours all the promises to believers that he covenants with our fighter verse for next week says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and because of that God is not condemning us but he's covenanted to us and he loves us and he cares for us and he's not letting us go and he's filling us with his grace and his promises. That's his words. And I say his, their promises because verse 5 is a promise. I will now arise. And David and those that were being persecuted at that time would go, I'm going to bank on that word. I'm going to bank on the word that you will now arise. We need to bank on God's promises. You bank on God's promises. Do you know the promises of God? What ones are you clinging to? I will never leave you or forsake you. I will give you my strength. You, I will be your helper. Trust in Him at all times. He is a rock to those who seek Him for refuge. 
What promises do you just cling to in hope? God's words are full of gracious, saving promises and righteous warnings. Because the righteous warnings are if you do not repent. The way of the words of the wicked, you will be destroyed. Or if you're already a believer, he won't cast you out, but you will not enjoy the blessed, happy fellowship and goodness that God intends to have in obedience. But not only are the words saving promises and righteous warnings, they're also flawless and trustworthy. They're flawless and trustworthy. Look at verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. They are purified seven times. What David does is he starts it by saying, the words of the Lord, they're pure words. That word is, it's flawless, trustworthy, completely true, completely good promises. They're pure. And then he uses this metaphor or or picture. They're like silver refined in a furnace. They're They're not like silver refined because God's words don't need to get refined. They start out refined and they're forever refined. But his point is they are refined. And if you could think of something more refined, he, he would say, than silver that has gone through the furnace at least seven times or the perfect number over and over again. So all imperfections are removed. So God's word is perfect. God's word is flawless. It's truthful. It's perfect. Sometimes because of our, our unbelief, because we live in this world and we have to walk by faith and not by sight, there will be times when you're going through a dark moments and the promises of God seem distant, dim, and they don't seem true to our heart, but they are. I want to tell you, if you're having a hard time clinging to the promises of God, they're flawless. He, this word is full of the truth that you need And don't believe the lie, yeah, you need this, but you also need something else. This is the sufficient word of God that made you alive. He spoke in you into existence as his word. And if you were saved, he spoke spiritually and you became alive in your heart. And he speaks day by day through our reading the word, our meditating on the word, hearing it preached, studying it on Wednesdays, studying it in small groups, reading and listening to it on our own. All God's promises are perfect and they'll come to pass and we can trust them. He never makes a foolish promise. He is infinitely wise. He never makes a promise he can't keep. He's infinitely strong. He never speaks a foul word. He's infinitely holy. He never ever speaks a deceptive or flattering word, for he is completely true and right. He would have nothing to gain by deceiving you. He has all and is completely secure in himself. He is good and right. And oh, I pray that we would grow more. I know we'd say, I'm almost sure everyone here would say, yeah, the Bible is good and we need to base our lives on the Bible. Pray, and I pray that God would help us to louse verse 6 to just fill our hearts with the goodness of that. The Lord's words are pure. They're pure. And because they're pure, I'm going to go to it. I'm gonna, it is the best thing I have. It's the most, it's, 
It's greater than any self-help book that I could run to because it brings me into relationship with God. And yes, it will make me fall before Him and obey Him, of which I was meant for. I was meant to be delivered unto. But you see also that this psalm says it's accessible. Do you see how it's God's words that are awesome are also accessible to believers? It's It's amazing that God speaks to David. He says, I will now arise. For being oppressed, I will arise. And I will do this. God has spoken to us. I hope to be in Cameroon this summer, in August, to speak at a pastor's conference with Brian and some of the churches there. My words will not be accessible to the pastors without a translator. Because I don't speak French. Apart from maybe a few of the English words that they'll know, it won't be accessible to them. Great words are only great to us if they are received and accessible and understood by someone. And yet God's words are accessible to us and we can receive them. And David is given this word and he's encouraged and we've been given his word and encouraged. It's in English By his mercy, he's given it to us. And hopefully we can not only understand it with our eyes, but understand and perceive it with our hearts because we humbly believe. God's word is to be received by those who believe him and and humbly receive it with a desire to obey. Let us hear the word and believe. Let us bow before the truth because we bow before God and we pray And at times we'll have to say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lastly, God's word, far in contrast to the words of the wicked, is effective and definitive. What I mean by that, it, it lasts, it works, and it produces unlike any other words can do. The psalmist says, O Lord, you will keep them. Now, you might say, do you mean he's going to keep his own word? Yes, he does keep his own word. But in, in this verse, I believe he's saying, in verse 8, he's saying, you will keep them. You will, keep, you will protect them. You will protect God's people. He'll keep your promises. You're going, and because you have the power to do it. You and I don't have a power to, to fulfill every promise we make. I'll make promises to my children. I hope I keep them. In fact, I need to be really careful not to make any promises I don't think I possibly can keep. But not one of us has the power to keep every promise that we'll make. We don't have the power of our lives. We don't know how long we'll live. Except God. God keeps every promise. He has the power to affect anything He says. So much so that He speaks and He creates the world. He speaks, Jesus speaks, and Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, comes out of the grave. Hebrews says he upholds all things by the word of his power. All things means us. He's upholding us by the word of his power right now. He's upholding our enemies by the word of his power. He upholds the wicked by the word of his power. He upholds all cells and all diseases by the word of his power. All of it. It's effective and powerful. And in this psalm, the psalmist knows if he says he will arise, he will do it because he has power to do it. And that's why he begins this psalm, save, 
O Lord, save or help, because you're the helper. Oh, God's word has the power and ability, the effect that it can have in you today to revive your soul. Does your soul need reviving? Mine so often does. It often does. The word is so powerful to make wise people out of simple people. It can take gloomy and broken hearts and make them rejoice. It can make eyes that are dim to the things of God and seeing clearly 2020 spiritual vision. God's word endures forever and will never, ever fail. The words of the wind but then they will die and they will be no more. But God's word endures forever. I guess the greatest word that we speak and proclaim that brings us life is the word of the gospel. The gospel is this great promise and warning. A promise of eternal life and salvation in a relationship with God and endless bliss and joy because God in His holiness and righteousness and love sent His Son to rescue messed up people just like you and me and all who repent of their sins and wholeheartedly believe that He is the only one that can take away the sins of the world because He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. It's warning because there is destruction and judgment for all who do not. God will arise and judge against all sin. He will arise and save all those who come under his protective wings in the gospel. God's word in the gospel is faithful and true. Please believe it. If you're here watching or if you're here sitting in this room and you have not yet turned your life over to Jesus, would you receive it? It's, it's flawless, it's perfect. It has been changing people for thousands of years, even before Christ came, in a different version, because Christ hadn't come yet, but over the last 2,000 years, lives have been changed and transformed when they believed the good news of Jesus Christ and gave their life to Him and surrendered themselves to Him, and He forgave their sins and changed them. And it's, it's for you, believe it, it's accessible, you can have it today. You can sit right in your seat and confess your sins to the Lord. You can, without uttering it, a verbal word to God in your mind, cry out to Him and He will save you. Confess your sins to the Lord, repent, ask Him to forgive you, confess that He is the only way and He will do it. Oh, may we, may we learn from Psalms 12 to... When we're exploited and facing unjust charges and evil and unjust, pray this. Let us pray this for our friends in India and Afghanistan and other places that are facing it directly. Let us confess our sins where we are far too often like the world's or the wickedness of the world in the words of lies and deception and defiance. In fact, that's all our history until he rescues us from it. And it should point our hearts and our words to the pure words of God that transform the flawless words of God. Let us listen, believe, obey, and treasure these words. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I'm going to ask that God would help us 
be people of clean speech, clean words, clean hearts. Not in our own efforts, but in the the gift that he gives as he renews us, forgives us, and helps us anew.